Hi, everybody, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. We are a podcast about classical literature, art, philosophy, architecture, still to come. And we are just trying to bring everybody into the classical world, which I promise you is far more accessible than you think it is. Right? Plato is easier to read than you think. Plato is easier to read than people writing about Plato. Yes. Yeah. Aristotle is as hard to read as you think he is, but it's very good. And worth it. Why all the hate? Aristotle is incredibly accessible. Do you think so? Oh, for sure. Oh. I think he's really hard to read. You're smarter than me. No, no, he's just slow down. Yeah. Don't want to. Hmm. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. I've been reading uh, Purgatorio. Have you started that one yet, Graham? Aren't you going to teach that? Um, If we get to it. Um, but yeah, what about just, it? just in the vein of like accessible things that I thought would be really hard. It's al- it's almost made me want to go back to the Inferno. Yeah, and Purgatory is easy. It's fun. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, today's episode will be led by Mr. Oh, uh, sorry. The three of us. I am AJ Hannenberg. Uh, I teach ninth and 12th grade English here at Veritas Academy in Austin, Texas. I am joined by my two colleagues, Graham Donaldson. Hoy hoy. <laughs> and Thomas Magby. Hello. And we are in charge around here. And that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Over to you, Thomas. Thanks. You're our bosses. <laughs> Please yeah. ignore that last comment. I guess in this... We're in charge we, of the podcast. Oh, okay. we, we are our own bosses here. So today's topic... Is that why you're wearing a tie? Uh, none of us. Oh, I know, I'm sorry. being funny. So it, it was a great funny. So... <laughs> it was satire. <laughs> oh, fair enough. So the original <laughs> title I was going to give this is from... From Seder to Snark. But then I realized that, anyway, we'll talk about. So I just received satire, a text from a Magby. Yeah, and I told you all that I would do that. So the we're going to be talking about satire and snark and sarcasm. So, gentlemen, as I was coming up with this topic, uh, I was flipping through Facebook, as I want to do, and I came across this ad from The Daily Show that clearly wants me to watch it. Would one of you all like to read what this... So this is a quote, I'm assuming, from one of their one of the shows. I used to watch it. I used to watch it. I haven't watched it, The Daily Show, recently. Are you all avid consumers? I got it. I cannot stand it. Okay, great. So then, no. Graham, what, right, what, 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 what does it say? Amazon moving to New York is worse than bad. It's cliche. Amazon's been around for 24 years, and they're doing what every 24-year-old does. Move to New York and gentrify a neighborhood. They could have at least spent a year teaching English in Bangladesh. <laughs> yuck, yuck, yuck. Okay. So what is, what is happening in this quote? He, it is, um, it's like pointing out a, what, what the, the, the commentator or the comedian thinks is a social ill. Amazon moving to New York and, and making it harder to live in the city because they're going to make it more expensive. And wrapping that up in something that is somewhat clever and funny by saying that Amazon is like a 24 year old who is moving to New York and gentrifying neighborhoods. Um, yeah. So he, he's, he's taking something that he wants to maybe have a serious conversation about or feel something serious, the uh, Amazon moving to New York city and is satirizing it. This is what this is. This is, this is um, um, yeah. Satirizing Amazon's move to the city and saying that it's going to be do, do this this bad thing, and if they're going to do this bad thing, they might as well at least do what you know one good thing that twenty four year olds do. Your you know idealists do. That's a gap year in Bangladesh. Yeah. yeah. So, AJ, is it funny? 
kind of. I've taken it out of context, and I'm and I'm probably anyway. It would probably be much funnier if we were actually watching the show. I'm sure people laughed at it. I, I'm sure people laughed at. It. I'm sure it was a. They have a live studio it's audience, clever. and it's I'm clever. sure it's clever. It's clever. That's probably the, the right word. The for The funny it. thing about teaching in Bangladesh. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there is a cleverness to it. The comparison and of, the wit of saying like the 24 year old company is like a 24 year old kid, and they're yeah. doing the same thing that a 24 year old kid does. That's witty. Yeah, and I'm I'm vaguely aware that there's some famous quote that if you have to explain a joke it's not funny so i'm sure us dissecting it makes it (laughs) hilarious but sure i'm sure in being told it was laughed at and then probably moved on from there Mm -hmm. Uh, i did not watch this episode but it likely was the culmination of some sort of segment that there was information about amazon moving to new york and then this this quip offered either at the end or you know some at some point to wrap up the the segment so i graham you used the term satire to describe this would you all both agree that this is satire? Um, satire, as I understand it, is you have you're either making something extreme or you're showing something, or you're using like a, a little silliness or absurdity, but you've got a social point that you're trying to make. Yep. Whereas, um, um, if you don't have a social point, if you're just trying to be, uh, if you're just trying to be cutting, um, you're you, I don't I don't know what it would be called. Maybe sarcasm. Um, nah, no, sarcasm is a little bit different. Um, but, but satire usually has like some kind of good or some kind of message that they're wanting to show. Sure. Whereas there can be humor where there's no message. It's just, it's, it's just, just something humor. terrible. Here's right. a dude who walked into the door of a dryer. Yeah. Or, or, or like saying a joke of something that is truly, truly horrible because people don't know how to deal with the horrible thing you said other than just sort of laugh nervously about it. So like... The, you know, this is maybe, you know, the, the dead baby jokes or the Holocaust jokes, right? Like, that's not satire. That's saying horrible things because they're so terrible. Terrified. Or, we, we don't or, really know how I to deal it. with hearing something terrible other than just to sort of nervously laugh at it. Yeah. So I'll just read off. This is a definition of satire. The use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices, particularly in the context of contemporary politics and other yeah. topical issues. So expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices. Mm-hmm. Is satire a particularly new thing? No. Nah. How far back do you think it goes? Um, they had, what was the famous gin? There was like a, something to do with when uh, um, there was like a, a bout of drunkenness happening in England and there was a famous, was it Swift? Oh. Swift was a famous uh, satiretician that talked about gin consumption in England. Sure. Uh, I think of Swift for the eating babies, the modest proposal. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a far, a really, really old one from ancient Greece. There's a movie made out about it. I think Chirac was built on this oh. film. Oh, the women refused that's to. That's Lysistrata. Yes. Mm-hmm. One of, yeah. That's a Greek. That, that, that is a comedy. Is it satire? Mm, so this is fun. So in my original conception of this topic, as I said before, it was from Seder to satire or from Seder to snark. And so we've talked about this before at the great Dionysia at the, the competitive, the competition every year, there would be three tragedies and a, a um, comedy that would be submitted. Well, in addition to those, pl- so for, so the tragedies were taken seriously. The comedy wasn't taken as seriously and it took, I think 20 years. It took some amount of time before the comedy was added to the cycle of the competition. Well, an additional piece was added, and those were the Seder plays. And so the Seder plays were more like, a, I don't even know what to call it, like a burlesque, like a, it just, it's just mocking, yeah. Like, it's body. Yeah, body is the right word for it. With uh, a W. Yes, and it- Body. In the same way that the Great Dionysia is a celebration of Dionysus, essentially this play is 
I, I believe the satyrs were creatures that uh, that supported that were for oh, Dionysus. Satyr. Yeah, S A T Y. I keep thinking you're saying satyr like the Jewish oh, satyr. Oh, I'm so dinner. sorry. No, no, no. S A T Y R. Oh, the satyrs. Yeah, yeah satyrs, satyrs. Okay, satyr. I, I thought you were saying like satyr like the satyr dinner. No, and I was like, weird. Hmm, that's. Now those are the little woodland creatures that have the tail, the feet of a goat, and the yeah. body of a man. Those are satyrs. Mr. And so Tumnus. The what's that? Mr. Tumnus. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the, he's a fawn. Oh, oh how fair. dare you! So the satyr plays actually had satyrs in them. That mm-hmm. was why they were called that. So there's, and they're mocking. So the only extant satyr play we have is about when Odysseus is hanging out with the Cyclops. What's the name of that Cyclops? Polyphemus. No one. Yeah, no one. Yes, that that whole scene. Oh, that's Odysseus. Oh, that's Odysseus. Yes, Polyphemus. Yes. So there's a satyr play about that, where it's essentially the satyrs who are helping Odysseus, but accidentally, it's kind of funny, but not really. It's one of those things you lose in translation. But that term satyr is not where we get the term satire from. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, that's my fun tangent to say I thought a thing and it was wrong. So <laughs> I'm preempting classical stuff I got wrong. So. Uh, and satire is even older. So yes, it's popularized by essayists in, in England, um, in Europe. And, but it, it comes from even before that, um, Quintilian kind of created the words to describe, Oh, where's his name? Loose. Uh, of course I'm going to lose it. He eventually created the term, but what he was describing was a specific literary technique. So in the same way that Shakespeare would write in iambic pentameter sat- satire was had had limits to the uh, to the verse to the rhyming it was a specific type of literary it was work. a form it was a form of liter of literature and but that obviously is not how we use the term now mm. all that to say it's very old Graham you're getting at the important pieces of it that satire is not just you laughing at a thing but it's to point out the problem with the thing mm-hmm. so I think of satire for a modest proposal there's another famous example of it. I'll read. This is a great book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, which is not a classic, but it's a very good book by Tish Harrison Warren. One of my favorite scenes in literature is when the Lilliputans, is that how you say that? In Gulliver's Travel, think that because Gulliver keeps checking his clock, it must be his God. It was Swift's clever commentary on his era's worship of time, hurry, and efficiency, which applies just as easily to us today. So a form of satire. <laughs> is this my, my tiny black square god that I keep looking yeah, at? I, I didn't want to make that comment, Graham, but here we are. <laughs> so so Gulliver's Travels would be an example of satire. Mm-hmm. It is mocking the English because they keep looking at their clock. They're obsessed with time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Another famous example is Modest Proposal by Jonathan Swift. Is this one you all know? Yep. yep. It's where he's talking about Irish. Yep. What to do with the Irish. Yep. So have lots of Irish people and they're all very hungry. So a thing to do with them is to eat, eat the babies and to make handbags out of the skins. And it's, it's weird, but is obviously not meant as literal. He's show he's wanting to showcase the fact that the English just do not think of the Irish as humans. Yes. Yeah. And so that bureaucracy that can time, sometimes be and bureaucracy unfeeling can do, yeah. and do horrible mm-hmm. things. Yeah. So is satire, I don't know. What do y'all think about satire? It's incredibly powerful. Um, and it's incredibly difficult to do well, ah. which is interesting to say because we're so inundated with that kind of ethos on the internet right now. Like the internet is filled with that kind of humor as your meme that you sent to us pointed out or the little joke that you sent to us from the daily mm-hmm. show pointed out. So the fact that there's lots of it nowadays, I think still doesn't belie the fact that it is difficult to do. Um, 
Um, it's I think it's tiring over time. I don't think it has a lot of staying power, and so it needs to... And it feeds off of sort of outrage and anger, which has its own which has its own consistency or its own longevity problems. Yeah. You sort of need to move on to the next thing. Um, it's vam- vampiric. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Say more. It uh, it can only it ha- it proffers nothing new. It feeds on other people trying to do things. So in this case, Amazon's move, right? Amazon is doing a thing. This thing criticizes that move. So yes. because of this criticism, it by very nature cannot be proffering its own. Usually not proffering its own ideas. Yes. So, so it's vampiric. But when we talk about Gulliver's Travels or The Modest Proposal or pick some other example of satire, of political satire, are are those things helpful? Are they are they good? I think especially in certain situations where direct voicing of criticism is impossible. Right? So I think of... Was Animal Farm written in a time when you could not criticize... Communism. No, he's British. He's fine. Is, it, is that one's fine? Yeah. I do know that sometimes when you cannot criticize the government, you yeah. can write satires yeah. that are lightly veiled and because they can't directly get you, you're like, I was writing a story about dogs. Right. And they're like, it's clearly about us. And you're like, no, it's about dogs, man. Then or even you can get more that the audience that you're writing to. So in Animal Farm, I, I'm just trying to think that the, the subject who is reading the work of satire might not be open to an essay that says the thing you're doing is wrong or the way right. you're thinking is wrong. So instead, you take a roundabout way and you use humor, yeah, even a dark sense of humor, but you get someone drawn into a story so that they will read something that they wouldn't have read if it had been stated outright. What's well, the power of narrative, sure. right? I can give you a moralizing sermon or I can tell you a tale that has the same morals and typically the tale will be more effective. Yes. So satire is okay. Satire. No, is- satire is powerful. Um, so, for example, you know, we were just joking about me looking at my phone. So, like, Black Mirror, that television mm-hmm. show, is satirical. It's talking about our relationship with technology. I think sometimes where satire gets – where um, when, when satire is doing something witty, but you fundamentally disagree with the, with the underlying social point that they're trying to make, I feel like people get frustrated with that, right? So, I don't want to really divide it into left and right, but people on the left wouldn't find – a clever person on the right making some sort of satirical joke about um, a silly thing that the left does. They wouldn't find that. Um, they would say, that's just not funny. Like, you know, they, would, they would move into seriousness on the other way around. Like if, if someone on the left is doing something, like if, if you have two people at odds um, and they're both cleverly satir- uh, satirizing somebody else, um, no, uh, there's no fruit in doubling down on doing that better than the other person. Yep. Um, so at some point you need to stop making jokes and sit down and say, okay, what should we do about Amazon or what should we do about X? Yeah. I don't think Amazon, it feels pretty awesome about this joke. Yeah. And uh, it's probably reductive to what they're actually doing as well. Yeah. If you were someone who loved the daily show and you worked for Amazon, you're like, well, there's actually really good reasons why moving to New York city is a good idea. You're going to feel like you're on the outside of this joke and that like, you know, modern, television culture, internet culture is now against you because they found they found the whipping boy of the moment and it happens to be you. But don't worry, they're going to move on to the next whipping boy of the moment and Amazon can continue to do its well, thing. Well, that's the other thing is because it's vampiric, it often doesn't have that same staying power, mm-hmm. right? We, like the, the modest proposal doesn't have the, I mean, it's interesting, but interesting as almost a historical piece, 
right? It doesn't necessarily say that there are a couple of lessons you can draw from it, but I don't know that it has the staying power of something else written the same time period. Oh, interesting. So satire, it, well, I guess by definition must be more for the times. Yeah. It's yeah. addressing a specific issue. Right. So it's, it is more for the exact time, to, time yeah. period. So mm-hmm. then helpful as a historic study to say at some point the Irish were treated very poorly, but now we've moved past that. It won't say the same things just as this joke a month from now or once Amazon moves it it will fall completely flat. Yeah. Or once uh, once it maybe proves right that Amazon actually brings a lot of social good when people are saying it's going to bring a lot of social bad. That joke's not going to age very well. So, yeah, it, yeah, satire is is a really of the moment thing um, that doesn't so, age very well. So, is there classical satire? So, so all is, that to yeah. not answer your question, is it okay? We still haven't answered that. I think your answer is no. Some form of no. There, I. Mm, the thing is, there's also the way that one does it. So there is sort of charitable satire, and then there is an uncharitable satire. And this example, I think, of the Amazon thing is, is not a very charitable satire. There is no room for any kind of Amazon to... Like, it is very definitely this speaker against Amazon. But when you have the little... One of the little puttons... Mm-hmm. Um, when you have something that is clearly a, fan- a fantasy creature make- laughing at humans, there's something a little bit charitable about that because you're saying, we all do this, mm-hmm. whereas that guy is saying, Amazon's doing this, and they're the worst. Sure. So, Or like Black Mirror, right? Mm-hmm. It, that t- that's Black about Mirror's all more of charitable. society. Yeah, it's about all, it, we all do this. Exactly. And it's saying, like, let's fix this problem rather than, like, Ohioans yeah, yeah, <laughs> do yeah. this. Yeah. So when there's, so when there's, it, it draws the clear distinction between me, the joke teller, and people on my side versus you, the butt of the joke. That I think is uh, an, uh, a sort of corrosive type of satire that that is when it's in vogue when it is in vogue right now is a very destructive thing. But the person that has care and concern about all of humanity and lumps themselves mm-hmm. in the joke as well, I think is has a lot more. Um, that charitable satire thing is a lot better. So, yes, yeah, this is agreed. this is helpful. So, I'm going to complicate things by making a few different terms. Graham, this you this is kind of an offhand question, but I think it's an interesting one. Of is satire classical? That's kind of what we're <laughs> going to explore for some of the rest of our time. So, I'll just say again: satire is the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices, particularly in the context of contemporary politics and other topical issues. So again, ridicule, ridicule, ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices. So there is a target. There's a thing that you're trying to pull out in that situation. There, it is. It's classical in the sense of it's existed for a long time. Mm-hmm. While it was not a satyr play, Aristophanes, The Clouds, it is satire. Uh, in The Clouds, it's about this father and son. The father wants his son to join. It's essentially the academy, but he, they have a different name for it. Mm-hmm. And so his son won't do it. So his, the father ends up joining. He meets a fictional version of Socrates. And Socrates goes on for I mean, pages and pages about these like goofy, unnecessary questions that they're answering at the academy, such as what is the length of a gnat jump? And mm-hmm. they solve it by heating wax and putting wax on the feet of the flea so that it can jump up and they can track the, the distance of the gnat jumps. Ooh, but that probably interferes with the gnat's uh, distance <laughs> and velocity, exactly. right? That's pr- <laughs> Yes. So it's, yes. And so there are many different examples and the whole point is to make fun of Socrates and his academy. Plato, in particular, hated this play and thinks that it was part of the reason why Socrates was killed. Mm -hmm. So there is that. But Aristophanes has a point that he's making that 
that people are wasting their time by going to the academy. And so if people listen to him and avoid the academy, he's trying to do a good thing for Mm -hmm. that. He's trying to help people to not... From what he thinks is a good from thing. From what he thinks. Exactly. Well, and the satirist has to write from their own perspective, I think. I think every author has to. And so the story ends with the father essentially being – I think the father is, in fact, kicked out of the academy. His son joins, and his son, who started off as the strong athletic man, comes out as this, like, weakened, for lack of a better word, nerd, uh, who – like can't fight for himself anymore and is no longer self-assured and well-spoken. And we said, welcome to the fold brother. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Welcome. And that's to the where podcast. I came from. <laughs> Our fourth member of the podcast. So in Aristophanes view, he is doing a social good by putting the satire out by warning people about the Academy. And if he had just gotten up and said, Hey, the Academy is bad. It, it wouldn't have worked. People wouldn't have listened to him, but by him giving this funny example that people can laugh at, it is more persuasive than if he had just said it. Yeah, 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 but I mean, history has to bear itself out, right? Like, is is the was the academy actually ultimately bad or good? So there's tons of satire talking sure. about the dangers of abolition of slavery. I'm watching the Ken Burns Civil mm-hmm. War yep. documentary again, and there's tons of 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 the time satire talking about the dangers of the abolition of slaves. If we free the slaves, yeah. here's all the satirically crazy things that are going to happen. Ha ha ha! Mm-hmm. And like, you look back and you're like, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Like that satirist was incorrect in his reading of history at that moment because sure. the abolition of slaves was a good thing. Sure. Um, so um, in many ways, like history will determine the winners and losers of satire. satire. And of, uh, of any ideas, yeah. right? And, yeah. of any, and of any ideas. Sure. I don't, yeah, of course I don't disagree with that. This, I, I feel like it was a very similar point I raised on our long ago episodes about rhetoric, that these are tools that can be used Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this is the this is what you all came back with to say that they are essentially amoral. That you that these tools exist and that these ways of arguing exist, and you should have a good argument. But even if you don't, if the other person has an evil argument and they're using strong arguments, you want to be able to also use strong arguments, mm-hmm. right? You want to be trained in rhetoric. Also, mm-hmm. that being said, I think what we were talking about before, where you are you are making you are drawing a clear line between you as the joke teller and then the butt of the joke. Yes. I don't think I can think of many reasons where that is a, where that is a good because at some at some level you're doing the plank in your eye speck in their eye sure. kind you put, of you say sentiment. I'm superior. Yeah, then I'm superior in the way that I've figured things out. Like there, there's no humility that you have to your place in time and history. And that's 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 my problem with it is when when it is insulting others mm-hmm. you are doing criticism in a in an insulting way. Mm-hmm. Like, and if, if that you said that's why Socrates got killed, well, it maybe meant that a man was killed. Sure. Whereas I think, so I, I'm with you on that. The whole separation between me and them, there are better, yeah. more honorable ways you could go about that versus satirizing a culture as a whole in which you are included. That's right. That, that yes. comes across as self-deprecation mm-hmm. rather than insult. And, and there's a big chasm yeah. between the two. And that's why I have a problem with The Daily Show because sure. they sort of um, present themselves like their poo don't stink. Yes. And I think that's why it's that's, The Daily Show was very different than Colbert Report, because I feel like Stephen Colbert had a better... Um, it is often us. He was a lot more yeah. charitable in his satire, because he was roping himself and everybody in on this in his shtick. Even the Daily his show wasn't. Yeah, even his shtick, his character was a satire. Yeah. Like, he, he put himself into it almost. Yes, exactly. So that, I feel like that had more... Um, 
I don't know what staying power is the right word because the, the the Daily Show is still around and there's still a lot has lots of people. But I feel like there that it's got this edge to it that I that I find I can't tolerate it. So let me. So this is Not where that I'm the the you know arbiter of what's good and bad. But yeah, sure. I just can't get over the fact that they're drawing those hard lines and yeah. You're the guy with the microphone, so you yeah you do get to decide what's right and <laughs> wrong. We paid for this platform. <laughs> we're going to use it. So. When I said I was going to complicate it, this is where we'll start. So satire, again, it's pointing to something that is, in fact, wrong. It's pointing to stupidity or vices. Let me offer another word, sarcasm. Mm -hmm. Sarcasm, again, dictionary definition, the use of irony to mock or convey contempt. And I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. There is a difference. There is a difference. So with satire, there is a thing that you actually think is wrong, and you want to point to that. Yeah. With sarcasm, all there you're is saying no wrong, is, is just a I, I, I have anger. I yeah. am mad, mm-hmm. and I'm going to express that anger. Yes, and that is definitely the invoke cultural. Um, like, you don't have to teach our kids sarcasm. Yes. Like, our students know they can identify sarcasm when they see it. Oh, can they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is. It is the current. It is the language currency of the internet. Sure. Um, but it is. It is also so. The etymology of sarcasm, it comes from a Greek word, but... It means to cut, right? It means to... To tear, to to tear, tear flesh. Yeah, to tear bite, flesh. Bite the lip in rage or sneer. But to tear flesh, I think, is apt for what mm-hmm. sarcasm accomplishes. Mm-hmm. It wasn't used until the 16th century, though, as a word in and of itself, as sarcasm itself. Mm-hmm. So... I'm willing to bet they had it before then, though. Sure, that it came... That literally it meant to tear flesh, bite the lip... Like, it was not written until the 16th century. So... It, well, I mean, like, I think sarcasm existed. Not necessarily the word, but... I think people were sarcastic. Sure, sure. But yeah. all, all I'm trying to say is that the idea... So when we read things today that we call classical, they are things that have been preserved over time. And so some of those things that are have been preserved over time are satirical. So there's some value that people saw in them such that they, you know, monks for hundreds of years wrote it down over and over again mm-hmm. that exists for satire that doesn't exist for sarcasm. You're, yeah, I think that's right. Maybe right. that's the way I'll say that. Um because again, sarcasm is a highly contextual and b offers nothing. Whereas at least satire can offer, if, if satire is like we've been talking about it, historically correct or in tune with maybe justice. Mm-hmm. Um, when satire is in tune with justice, it has staying power. Sure. Sarcasm is never in tune with a virtue. I don't think because it's not sarcasm is not meant to convey a virtue. It's not meant to point to an actual problem. It's just, it's a means of expression, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, now, now I'm, I'm in my own philosophical question. Great. Can sarcasm ever, I think ever it can be, um, point to a virtue or ever be a tool in, in aid of virtue? I think, I, I think it is a, a broken tool in aid of virtue, right? You can use sarcasm to point out that people are doing something stupid, mm-hmm. but, or, or call someone stupid if they're being stupid. Mm-hmm. And, but that there are better ways and more honorable and more just. That's, and, that's my question. Is, is, there are better ways to do it. I think, I think sarcasm it can be, be ever honorable and just, uh, I would say probably I not. I don't think so either, which is kind of fascinating. What? How so? Well, just that, that, why do we, I mean, great. Why tolerate it? There it is. Thank you. Okay. So, that is a question that listener, I hope you will, you know, let bubble for the next couple of minutes as I bloviate. So to add oh, good word to add more nuance to our discussion, we've he had is right now all over satire. Bloviating everywhere. Thanks. Oh, all over the place. Oh, on the new table. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, so again, satire is pointing to a thing that is wrong, a stupidity or a vice and saying that's wrong. Sarcasm is a 
is an expression of contempt. And then a third definition. Uh, so, listeners, I'm sure you've heard many times, I have not kept a commonplace book until now. So I am following in, I believe, Graham's footsteps by using note cards. Oh my dude, you give up video games and TV and look what you're producing. I'm I'm well I'm trying to not have jealousy. That's your boxes. You don't uh, need jealousy, you just need self control. I need need, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That sounds so hard though. Yeah, well it's worth it. Virtue is its own reward. So part of this is Graham's recommendation of using note cards. The other reason so a commonplace book. This is, will probably be an episode at some point in the future. Cause we've never actually talked about it. It's a, basically a collection of quotes and ideas from things that you read or see or whatever. Is that a fair summary? Yes. It okay. is a commonplace for all of your ideas. Yeah. So the one I'm operating from is a bunch of note cards and then they're separated by topic. And another person who does this is a guy named Ryan holiday. And I, I he has a great article online about how to get started with a commonplace book that is organized like this. And then Which I guess he took from, Robert Greene. Robert Greene, 48 Green. Laws of Power yes. and, and 33, mass, um, whatever it is. Uh, laws of War. No, no, I'm just saying yeah. there are lots oh, of Oh, I see. Art of Seduction. Who had like a massive stroke recently. Don't I had no did? idea, really. He's recovering, oh. but... Um, Thank and he's finished his last, his great, what he thinks is his magnum opus book. And I can't remember what it's on. Uh, human, uh, it's like Human Nature, I think. Yeah. Oh, is it? Fascinating. I like him. He's good. I just finished his uh, Laws of Power, 33 I read. Power. I read Mastery. I couldn't get through Mastery. The 33 law. I couldn't master myself to do it. (laughs) There's a lesson. It was good. It was good. The new one is the laws of human nature. There you go. Yeah, we need to, I need to get back into reading those things. There's just so much to read. I got, I got sidetracked by Nassim Tlaib. I'm on anti-fragile right now. Oh, is it good? I'm still in black swan. Tangent. Uh, Fooled by randomness is better than I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. So I read it and I'm not rich. So what the heck? (laughs) Uh, Because it's not just about knowledge. Okay. So. All that to say, again, Ryan Holiday has a very helpful article on how to get started with a commonplace book like this. I recommend it. I'm using a system that is tabbing things in a book, which is why Liturgy of the Ordinary has like 50 tabs in it. It's incredible. And then, Good job, you, Tish. Yeah, she did great. And then, so you tab things or you mark an underline as you go, and then you go back to the book at some point and then look through those tabs or those marks and say, what of this do I actually want to keep? And I've had this experience a few times where a thing that I mark is not I end up not writing it because it, it seemed impactful in the moment, but it's actually made better later in the book. Something like, anyway, all that to say the note cards I'm working off of are from a book by Ryan holiday, which is uh, called trust me. I'm lying, which is very good. And I also recommend it. So we've talked about satire. We've talked about sarcasm and I want to add a third term, which is snark. And Mm. if you ever Google the word snark, the first definition is an imaginary creature, which is very funny. (laughs) So, the definition that Ryan Holiday gives for snark is, you know, you're dealing with snark when you attempt to respond to a comment and realize there is nothing you can say. The remark doesn't mean anything, though it still hurts. And the person saying it doesn't care enough about what they said or anything else for that matter that would allow you to criticize them back. What do y'all say about snark? Uh, what's the, what's the difference between snark and sarcasm? Not much. Um, I think the, um, the lack of, yeah, I think maybe the lack of care of something coming back is, is maybe the big, the big difference. I don't even know. Can you read that definition of snark again? Sure. You know, you're dealing with snark when you attempt to respond to a comment and realize there is nothing you can say. The remark doesn't mean anything though. It still hurts. And the person saying it doesn't care enough about what they said or anything else for that matter that would allow you to criticize them back. Yeah. The only 
I think the addition in snark is that last part of not care of the person doesn't care enough about what they said or anything else for that matter that would allow you to criticize them back. With sarcasm, you could criticize them back. Mm-hmm. You can express contempt back and forth. Mm-hmm. The point mm, because the sarcastic person. Yeah. cares so or just to say if sarcasm is just an expression of contempt mm-hmm. you can you can whatever the verb of sar you can sarcast back and mm-hmm. forth can so. you give me a definite can you give me an example of snark did you have one mm. i'm looking but i can't find it i found another definition of snark it's a combination of two words snide and remark yeah, so, yeah. Snark, yeah, which, means a, which means a sarcastic comment. So they're equating the two. Yep. It's a literary device that is meant to be sarcastic speech. Depending on the subject, the audience, and the speaker, snark can be taken as sophisticated, witty, or asinine. Um, it's, it says it can be a wonderfully witty blending of cynicism and sarcasm. And it says, here's an example from Hamlet. Thrift, thrift, Horatio, the funeral baked meats did coldly mm-hmm. furnish forth the marriage tables. Yeah. So... All the food we had at the funeral is now on the marriage tables, which... Because the marriage followed so soon after. Right. So in that case, I think that would probably fall under sarcasm. I'm having a hard time telling the difference between snark well, sure, and sarcasm. Sure, you just said it there. So if it's a blending of cynicism and sarcasm, then the cynicism would be the part that separates it from sarcasm. Okay, so just kind of hating on everything? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, and that's also... Um, I feel like maybe... Like sarcasm is a gateway drug to cynicism and snark, right? Like uh, if you're the sarcastic, well, um, you start out as a satirist, yeah, you, go to sarcasm, you, yeah, and end in snark. Well, I don't know if you know. I think satire has has can have the noble purpose of of us understanding our own foibles. So I really do think Black Mirror is is the no, a noble. I haven't watched a lot of the episodes, but every time I've watched them, I've been profoundly troubled because that's uh, an audience. If you are planning on watching that show, which is of adult matter oh, yeah. typically yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, skip episode one it doesn't bring as much to the table as you need and i, I like it's i have it's, a different opinion but really I, yeah but i understand the argument why episode one isn't very good it is really 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 difficult to palate that's the social media one with the pig yes yeah, yeah. then I, w- I would not start with that one but i hear what you start and then the other else. thing and then there was the reason why i haven't i've only watched a couple of episodes is because i just don't want to consume what they're talking about yeah but because it's it's showing the black mirror, it is showing uh, a mirror to our own actions. Anyway, but that's besides the point. So I feel like sarc- uh, satire does have a, a social and noble purpose at times, especially in times of profoundly going the wrong way. But um, I so sarcasm was something that I myself had to have really worked on in the past bunch of years because I was an incredibly sarcastic teacher um, because it feels so good to be set, uh, sarcastic, and the fruit was so low when you're dealing with teenagers. Now, I say that now looking back because it's a terrible thing, but it was. But I, I think a lot of young teenagers of our generation fall into that trap of sarcasm because the kids tee you up, and you are, and you, and you can, you can take those opportunities, and you get a lot of sort of social feedback. Like the rest of the students think you're awesome. Yeah, but it's, but it, it's terrible. Um, why is it terrible? Because, because it erodes your relationship with that child. It rends the flesh yes. of whoever you're it being sarcastic. It rends the flesh of whoever you're being sarcastic to. And I I remember even realizing, like, I was sitting at one Society of Classical Learning conference many years ago, and I think Jamie Smith was presenting at it a long time ago. Uh, it, was, it was when we were in, I can't remember where we were in. It may have been Austin many years ago. And I remember having this profound realization that if I'm going to be a good teacher, I actually have to love the students. <laughs> Yep. Um, that was, I, I actually have that quote written in my commonplace. Yeah. That, um, uh, and, I, and I meant it. And at that moment, I realized, like, I 
need to not be sarcastic because it's cheap wins. And maybe you could couch it in teaching. You're giving them a teaching moment, but you're just embittering people to you. And, um, and I feel like um, if you go, the, the more sarcastic you are, the more students I think are going to eventually dislike you. Hmm. And then you're Even going. If, then you're going to move into more cynicism because you're going to say all teenagers are terrible because all the ones I know hate me. <laughs> uh, and realize, and you realize you're you're you are the problem, not the students. Um, so I really think that sarcasm is like yeah, a gateway drug to cynicism and um, and snark. Um, uh, because you and and sort of salts the earth for actual affection and love. Yeah. So. I have, well, I guess we'll continue with this. So Holiday has a, Ryan Holiday has a chapter on Trust Me, I'm Lying on Snark, and all these quotes come from that. So just, I'll offer these and then we can talk and go from there. Snark is not the response of the masses to the inane doublespeak of politicians. It is a defense mechanism for writers who, having nothing to say, are absolutely terrified of being criticized or derided. Snarky writers reflect a primal fear, the fear of being laughed at. Mm -hmm. Snarky writers don't want to be mocked, so they strike first by mocking everyone in sight. So I think it's a piece of what you're getting to that. It's a, it's, it's born out of insecurity. Yes. I think for sure. I think mm -hmm. that's what I'm getting. That's mm -hmm. what I'm getting to with that. Yep. Following that, there is a reason that the weak are drawn to snark while the strong simply say what they mean. Snark makes the speaker feel a strength they know deep down they do not possess. It shields their insecurity and makes the writer feel like they are in control. Snark is the ideal intellectual position. It can criticize, but it cannot be criticized. Mm -hmm. So that's, Graham, your point of it being very dangerous, I think is the point I'm driving to with this. It's corrosive. Like yes. it just, it just eats away and built and then. And AJ, yeah. you said it before of that. It, it's So you were talking about satire. At that point I think vampiric, vampiric is a great analogy for it. But it, it is because, so satire depends on there being something else. Satire can't exist on its own. It must be pointing to something else. So there is that. But I don't know what I'm saying. Snark depends on there being things to be laughed at. The goal of satire is to correct those things. The goal of snark is to deride them. Yes. So the goal of snark is snark. Like to be able to put yourself in a position of authority, superiority, whatever, to the thing that you are judging. And not necessarily with an eye to correcting it or exactly. amending the behavior, only to insulting the behavior and yeah. yes. making yourself be strong. Yes. Yeah. When, when snark wins, I mean, yeah. So like snark only can exist when it has something to mock. And so if it's mocking virtue, yes. um, if snark wins, um, we're going to produce less virtuous men. And then what's snark going to be snarky about? Well, snark's just going to have to pick other snarky battles with other snarky people. Yes. Um, um, you know, you can... Um, deride Christian morality all you like, but when the world is bereft of it, <laughs> then what? And that's, so this is, this was in the definition of satire that it's pointing to vices. Yeah. So it's mocking, mm. the ideal of satire is to mock a vice. Oh, that's you, a good point. Yes. And yeah. so you might disagree with Aristophanes's view uh, of the Academy. Yes. But was he getting at something when he said that there's a type of knowledge a that pointless knowledge, a pointless ruins. knowledge. Yeah. Yes. And good. I, I think 100% he's onto something with that. Now, I disagree that it was Socrates and for what it's worth, ah, yeah, I was yeah. presenting it in the worst possible light while Plato blamed it for Socrates's death. 
the play was not popular. The play did not win any awards at competition. It was not laughed at. It was not enjoyed by those who were there. So Probably because people really knew Socrates yes. and knew it to be a, n- untrue. Yes. And so, yes. And it's like, oh, this is just sour grapes. But, yeah. but I do agree with the criticism he's making. Like, mm-hmm. I do think that there were sophists that he could say those things about, but they weren't famous enough. And so you uh, needed Socrates. So satire can mock a vice. Yes. But snark, can, is snark only mark, mocking virtue? Can snark mock vice? I think snark mocks anything it wants anything. to. Yeah. So snark has does not distinguish between virtue and vice. Yes. It just is its own ethos of... of it's it's a Coming whereas uh, satire is vampiric but perhaps good. Mm-hmm. I think snark is a bully in yeah. every sense. I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. If in the absence of anything else to mock, you just punch them. Yeah, right. That's that is exactly what it is. Yeah, we we talked about this a a long time ago about Aristotle and different types of friendship, and then that book ends with that section of the Nicomachean ethics ends with him talking about the different types of government that correspond to those different types of friendship. And he talked about how democracy leads to less virtuous people Mm -hmm. that just the incentives in a Mm -hmm. democracy will not promote virtue because everyone's terrifying. Yeah, it is. But anyway, we talked about this back then he democracy was his best. So he has six different options and democracy is fourth, I believe it's the best of the like actually possible options. The first three are like supreme power by a noble leader. Philosopher King. Yeah, exactly. And anyway, um, so all that to say that I think this is just a further example of that, of when, when there's not a control over who's writing or who's putting out ideas, Mm -hmm. you make snark, you make sarcasm available, possible. And it is enjoyed because it is funny and it does feel good to laugh at someone else's expense. But I think it's worth thinking about what that leads to. It leads to clickbait. I mean, it leads it, to... Then that's the point I'm trying to... This is where I'm going. It leads to it leads to clickbait and it leads to articles that are snark all the way down. And um, and it leads to a, uh, a huge dis... Or a, a huge disincentive to actually stand up and say what you believe in. But I don't think that's necessarily true because I think eventually you'll reach some sort of tipping point where everyone's going to say, well, um, screw the starky, snarky internet. I'm just, um, someone, someone's got to be the adult and, and actually say something, give it a, give a solution to a problem. You think so? Uh, yeah. And I think you're starting to see that. Um, um, I think you're starting, um, but the thing is it's, hmm. Well, like, you know, we'll sort of out ourselves as being fans of the Rubin Report. Like, if you look at those, if you look at those view numbers, like on a Rubin Report video of something that's two hours, a two-hour lecture with Eric Weinstein or with Jordan Peterson or with any of these people that that he's got, you're having 700, 800, 100, uh, a million views. Mm. And the viewership of those numbers to, between sort of other... Um, Something that would be another comparable newsmaking organization, you know, anything that's that's having you know long form discussions, which are only sixteen minutes of talking heads on on you know CNN. Mm-hmm. Like the numbers are not even comparable. So, what am I trying to say is that people n- seek seek substance. News and- media has sort of followed into the internet snark wagon to its detriment, and we're starting to see the backfill come in of people that are wanting actual real conversations on the internet and in real life. Um, 
uh, and I, and but we had the popular culture or there, there's the the news media culture hasn't bought it or hasn't caught on to it yet. They've kind of I think you can get drunk on snark. Like I mm, think yes, sarcasm yeah, and good, snark, yeah. you get, it intoxicates you because you get such feedback, immediate feedback, and such sort of like a small little jolt of social currency that fades. And so the only thing you need to do is get another sort of jolt of social currency. Again, it's a bully. Yeah, yes. it's a bully. It is the vape of the internet. It is the- Are the, vapes bullies? Wait. No, no, vape is like you get the your immediate hit of oh, oh, nicotine, right? And yes. you, then you're trapped. Yeah, um, in that cycle. Sure. Yeah, and then because um, because if the world's, all, if the internet is all about eyeballs, right? Like snark, I think, got eyeballs- and, you know, the history of Gawker, right? That's mm-hmm. a fascinating history. And there's Ryan Holiday wrote a That's book what about I was gonna it. Say. Yeah. So, uh, he, so this book, Trust Me, I'm Lying, is written in 2012. And then Gawker's bankruptcy, I believe, is 2017. So, and then. Because of the craziest thing Hulk Hogan's sex tape that was, sp- that, and then the lawsuit that was sponsored by Peter Thiel. Mm-hmm. I mean, that story in and of itself is just bazonkers. Yep. Uh, Ryan Holiday wrote a book called Conspiracy. Mm hmm. Uh, we, you can read that if you want to. There's also a Netflix documentary. Oh, really? Oh, uh, what is it? Oh, I haven't watched I just watched it. I will. Is it worth, that, wa- worth watching? N- no. Oh. N- no. The New York Times review is something to the effect of that this documentary is supporting freedom of speech, which allows um, bombastic documentaries like this to exist also. Oh. So okay. anyway, it, it it's a lot. It's quicker to watch that than to read the book. Yeah, I like reading books better. But I'm sure conspiracy is very good. So where are we right now? So satire in its best form is, po- is pointing to a vice, which mm-hmm. is a good thing. Mm-hmm. We should be able to laugh and make fun of and acknowledge things that are wrong. And we should not. Yeah. Be able to laugh at them, not with them. Mm-hmm. This, I, this is a tangent that might be a future. Anyway, I've talked with my leadership class many times about friendship of the world being enmity with God, James four, four. And there's a difference between that satire and then actually just reveling in whatever that vice is. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that's a line that high school students need to really be thoughtful about. I probably adults. They also think they're to. satirizing it when really they're just enjoying it, enjoying it, yeah. but virtue signaling that they, they, yes. they know it's supposed to be wrong, yes. but in reality they just love being in it. That. Yeah. We all do that. Yes. So satire is helpful. And then, also, I think there is something helpful. This is, I guess, a second point that the smaller your group of people, I think the more helpful satire is as uh, perhaps an unhelpful. I don't know. As an example of this, I, you know, uh, while Sarah and I, my, my wife and I do, in fact, have a perfect marriage. We did <laughs> have what some might call a fight, a conflict of some for, uh, of some sort the other day. Can't even. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Me. And since I'm the one with the microphone, obviously it was all her fault. No, oh, just kidding. Dang. Just kidding. It was all my fault. But. To approach the forgiveness in that situation, I needed to make fun of how I had acted before. Yep. And so I was able to satirize myself and say and make fun of what I had done, which then led us into, into forgiveness and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a meanness in it I, because it was about myself. But even if she had satirized me, the, that it's just the two of us having that and there aren't many people watching, I think can make satire more helpful than this is the problem you all were addressing in the first 20 minutes of this episode, that satire can be bad, especially when it's public, um, yeah, especially when it's online. Mm-hmm. So smaller the community, the more helpful that satire can be. Mm. So second thought. And then the the third is that, yes, snark is entertaining, but we're the ones who feed that. And so what we get for feeding the desire for snark is more snark. So Graham called it clickbaiting a second ago. But what I mean, li- just think about that. What that literally means is that we are feeding it by clicking on it, that 
we are people are getting paid advertising money because we are attracted to snark and then that creates more snark on the internet so i just think we should be thoughtful about that of what we consume because if we are enjoying snark then we will look for more and i think it uh, one of you i think said shrivels the soul something to that effect so I think those are the main ideas. Here. So this is why you were uncomfortable with reading William Blake because you oh, consumed sure. it. Yeah. So if yeah, if so to fill the to fill the reader in on our conversation after our William Blake episode, we had a long conversation about the the appropriateness of bringing that material, which by any even a charitable reading is heretical and mm-hmm. bad for the soul. Uh, we, we, we discussed if there, it was appropriate to ever bring before students and in what case that would it would be appropriate to bring in front of students. And um, having, having read it on air, uh, is that something that we should also avoid, I think was the question. And so sure. we, had just, we had just discussed it, a little bit of background, so, you know, fill in the listener. Yes, so a piece of that question, and it was addressed in the episode, so you all heard that, of should we, should we present these things to... Well, should we read them, I guess, in the first place? And then should we present them to students? And so, or should we present ideas that are contrary to, mm-hmm. you know, we are, we, the three of us in here are Christians. Should we present something that is against a Christian worldview to our, our students? And the answer is yes. Like, of course, we should talk about and present things that are contrary to what is true, but it matters how we do that. And so, not you shouldn't do. You shouldn't be snarky about it. Shouldn't be snarky. That, oh, this is a great point. Oh, and then, and I then, didn't even think about this yeah, point because I think people can just like Christians can say, okay, fine, I'm going to expose non-Christians to Dawkins theories of evolution, yep. or you know, Richard Dawkins, or William Blake, or, or things that are. But I'm going to do it and be a real snarky toot about it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think you're helping in that sense. It's a great point. Um, and I even would go as far as to say I don't think you're helping if you're even if you're satirizing it. Um, depends it, how. I guess it depends how. So again, sarcasm or snark, where you're only expressing contempt, that would be yeah, that would be bad because mm-hmm. you're not actually addressing the problem with the thing. Nope. It's yeah, not, it's I guess not it's, intellectually honest and it's mm-hmm. not charitable. Yeah. Yeah. It's not gracious. Yeah. It's all the truth with none of the grace. Yeah. Uh, I, think I guess if I said William Blake's it, like that, William Blake's like that, you know, 45-year-old guy at the bar that's trying to hit on girls. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you, if you do it that way, you're kind of pointing to the fact that he's exposing or he's espousing this lifestyle of like indulging in pleasure is self-actualization of my eternity or whatever nonsense he says. And then you can you can show that to be the sort of absurd thing that it is. It's like this is what skeezy mm-hmm. skeezy old people do to try to hit on younger girls, and they think they're virtuous because they're um, they're act you know they're 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 developing their you know the universe is telling them to indulge in their pleasures, mm-hmm. and we all can sort of if we think about that in ourselves, we're like, oh man, that's what I should do. And then when we look, imagine like. A creepy fifty-year-old man at a, at a at a nightclub doing that, we're like, "Ooh, that's yep. gross." Yep. So maybe that's a proper way to satirize. Sure. And that's, I guess, with wit, you said that the what you're doing with wit is you're comparing two things that are alike, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a way with satire of doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a way of helpfully doing that with satire, comparing two things, showing that a view is is vice. Yes, all yeah, or also you could just I don't know what I'm saying. Present satirical works? I mean, that doesn't sound quite right. Is Dorian Gray... It's not satirical. It's not satirical. Mm, yeah. I'll have to think about that one some more. But 
so those are kind of those those three pieces. So satire can be helpful, not always helpful, but can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, snark, I would say, probably never. Mm-hmm. Not it's not helpful, but it's entertaining, and that's I guess the tension to leave leave with. Of I'm probably going to click on some clickbait later today of like of taking down some political figure and laugh at it, but it's not actually good for me. But I don't know that it can ever. I don't know how much longevity there is to snark. I think a, a say a blog like a blog based on satire might might last because it is pulling us to our greater virtues. Whereas one that is only snark will get tiresome very quickly. Maybe that's, I mean, that's a, I worry about that, that, well, the trouble, like clickbait, that's the thing is it's clickbait and it's a one-off. Like you, I never return to a clickbait. I'm like, I never like, that was so good. I'm going to come back here later. Like that, that thought never comes across my mind. What, what Gawker got in trouble was, is they were snark, but then they were, than doing like investigative snark, right? Like they were, they were employing people to go out and look for things to be snarky about. And then when they did that with Hulk Hogan's private sex tape, um, and then wrote of was probably a very popular snarky article about how hilarious to talk about this sort of wrestler and, and, and this very personal thing. Um, like they were blinded to the, 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 the the fact that they were getting such socially rewarded for their snark completely blinded them to any kind of like privacy ethics. Yep. Um, so in that sense, I don't think, I think snark burns itself out. Yeah, maybe, um, but so, but there are people who are carefully snarky that have longevity. <laughs> yeah. And to hmm. say, so Gawker at its, before it was, you know, went, went bankrupt, had 23, 23 million visits per month. Yeah. Like it wasn't a small website. Yes, exactly. So it, it does yeah. work. Okay. Uh, we're but yeah, but they're bankrupt, right? Like they're gone. Yes, but that's because they made someone rich angry. That's the reason they're gone. But that's what the point is. Like you know, you live by the sword, die by the sword, right? That's sure. that's kind of the maybe the argument. My you know, so it's it's you kind of hope that the snark that the snarky go full throated into it because then they'll get they'll, the, the people will turn on them. It's the it's the cleverly snarky <laughs> that can <laughs> continuously get away with it. I don't know. I, mean, I think more gets, insidious. I think that gets closer to satire. Yeah. But, but mm, yeah. Okay. And maybe. Anyway, it's interesting. It's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely the online world we live in. Yeah. Right. Okay. This has been another episode of Classical Stuff You Should Know. You can tweet at us at <laughs> CLSSCAL stuff. If you want to. On the twits. You can email us at classicalstuff.com. That's our that's our website, classicalstuff.net. You can email us at, at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. And you can still email email us donuts if you want. Yeah. Uh, oh, if still you figure that out. Of those Christmas Christmas Krispy Kremes? Yep. They have them. Yeah, they mm-hmm. do. Yeah. So, I hey, happy holidays out there everybody. Yeah. Uh, this might come out a little bit past Thanksgiving. It is still pre-Thanksgiving for us when we record it. Mm-hmm. We are probably getting real close to Christmas as we post these episodes. So, hey, get in that Christmas mm-hmm. spirit. Mm-hmm. Really get out there. And uh, boys, I've honestly discovered the Christmas spirit sort of recently again for myself. Yeah, like, I, I think for a long time I was you know, too cool for Christmas. But now I get right into that spirit. I, you know, I get right in there. I give gifts. I like the food. I like the family. I like hanging out. I love my bros. Still singing. I love the stars. I love that. I still hate Christmas music. Oh, I hate it. This is not helping you right now. Yeah. But I love Graham. So it's oh. right now I'm feeling medium. 
So, so thanks everybody for listening to for Classical Christmas. Stuff. Uh, this is AJ, is Graham, you. and Bees signing off. Bye. It's awesome. It's good stuff. Mariah Carey. God bless you. Yeah, she's a hardworking lady. Mm-hmm.